Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. You to um, uh, turn in your Bibles here to the book of John. We're gonna we're gonna be teaching from that here tonight, um, but we're gonna go back to to the um, uh, teaching that we had taught before about disciple making, and uh, a lot of it is a part of the book "Follow to Lead" by. Uh, one of our pastors, Stan Gleason, and here's the thing: I know that that uh, disciple making is so vital to be a culture of landmark worship center. Not just we do it once in a while. Now I do know that we're a friendly church. Um, we try to make people feel welcome here, and I have noticed at times that we go in and out of that culture of disciple making. There's times that we we try to make contacts and connect with people and minister to them and new people come in. And then there's times that we go out of that. And and part of that is um, you know, sometimes we're you know, we got so much on our plate. We got so much on our schedules. We got a lot of things to do. You look at our Calendars, I know we've got this, 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 and this to do. But really, disciple-making is something we've got to be intentional about. It's something that we've got to make room for. It's something that really needs to be a priority. As a child of God, to reach out to souls and make disciples of them. And we're going to talk more about that. But I've seen our church go in and out of that area of ministry but it's not something that we need to go in and out of. It needs to be something that we constantly do. It needs to be a part of our heart, our thinking, our our burden for souls. We we need to have such a uh, such. And, and I know we love souls, but we need to have such a passion, and focus, and persistence on reaching for people uh, because we don't have much time left. We just don't have much time left till the coming of the Lord. He could come today. And we want to try to take as many people with us as we can. And there are people, and, and as we hear the testimonies of people passing away, that, that should hit you right here. It should hit you right here. It there's so much struggle in our world today that sometimes it becomes a it almost becomes you know, we hear about it so much it become become numb to it but we can't get to that point we can't become numb to souls that have lost their lives because of a struggle in their life uh, you know we need to be there for them uh we can preach it we can teach it but there's got to be a starting point where we step into that area of ministry, of making disciples, teaching people how to live for God, teaching them how to walk with God, how to serve God, how to, how to pray. 
You know, people walk in. Let me ask this question. How many of you, when you came to God, automatically knew everything about how to live for God? You knew exactly how to pray. You knew that how long you need to pray. You knew how to pray. You know the oneness of God. You knew salvation. You could quote Acts 2.38. Some I know can even before they came to God. Uh, it's been preached and taught and spoken so many times. How many knew how to live? How to walk with God? How many knew everything about holiness? I didn't. I had to I had to be taught. I had to learn it. I had to get a revelation of it. I had to dig into the Word of God. And not only that, just to learn it. Up here, I had to get... When I started learning up here and got a revelation of it, it started getting in here. And since it got in here, it's it's not going to be lost. I bought into it in my soul. So, living for God is something we have to learn in time. And people come, people come to the house of God and they give their life to the Lord. They repent of their sins. They might even be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which there's no other way. Amen? They might receive the Holy Ghost, speak in tongues. But there are so many battles that people face of the old life that you have to be there for them to help help them get out of those places. They, they need a change of environment. You know, you could give your life to the Lord, but if you don't have a change of environment and new friends, it's hard to break through those things and continue to walk the way God wants you to walk. And then, and then there's times where, you know how it is, when you came to God, I don't think we all were perfect. We did, we weren't. There's been times every one of us fell, fell hard, fell flat on our face. And even felt the remorse of it, and even had the thoughts come to you, why should I keep trying? I know we all had that thought. Why should I keep trying? God doesn't want me around here. And then all these thoughts come in. But that's where we need somebody there to say, hey, what God wants you to do is get back up. Here, I'll help you up. I'll help lift you up. I'm going to be your friend. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to, you know, this is this is how you live for God. You know, that is a part of the the ministry of the body of Christ. And I believe that this church has it within us. But it's got to be a starting point. But we step into that culture of that it's an everyday thing. It's, an, it's not something we move in and out of. Sometimes we're doing it, sometimes we're not. Well, it just becomes a culture to us. We're looking around us and we're trying to find out who's strong, who's not strong. We're not judging people. I don't want you to think that. We're not judging who's strong, who's not. But but we're sensitive to know that when someone's down, I've got to pick them up. When someone's up, we know that we can cheer them on and rejoice with them. Amen? I love to rejoice for those who are victorious, but I also like to reach down and take the hand of someone that is in need and say, come on, we're all in this together. You know how families are? Uh, a family that's, that's 
that functions properly is, you know, if if you got kids, your wife, husband, you know, we're all moving along together. But, you know, if the, one of the kids falls, what do you do? Just walk away from them and leave them in downtown St. Louis? Fend for yourself. We're moving on. And they're laying there crying. No, I know exactly what you would do. Because this is what I would do. This is what you would do. We'd reach down and pick them up. We would even carry them at times. Maybe they're hurt themselves. Maybe they got a spiritual boo-boo. Is that what you call it? A boo-boo? But you know, some people need someone to pick them up and carry them and help them for a while. Because there's a lot of battles out there. There's a lot of struggles out there. The old way of life was a, was a part of them, and you know how it is. We had to walk away from that old way of life, but that old way of life, you know, your, your old friends were still drawing on you, pulling on you. And that's really what disciple-making is a big part of is all about. Uh, and what I'd like to teach on tonight is a simple question. Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Now, I'm going to go into a story here in the book of Luke, chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn there. And a very, very familiar story that gives us some insight into this, Who is my neighbor? Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And, and as you're turning there, I, w- I want to say, please, please hear what I'm going to say about this because it's very, very important. If we can get a grip on this disciple-making, our church will grow quickly. Souls will be one to the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe there's some very vital things that, about uh, reaching out to people that are lost. Uh, one of them is this, as far as trying to reach them the way Jesus did it. He was a disciple maker. He had 12 disciples. He put himself into them, taught them every day, ministered to them. And, and then when he was to... Uh, leave this earth, guess what? They were able to continue on. There was a little bit of shakiness and a little bit of fear at times, but yet he had taught them and trained them enough that when he left this earth, they were able to carry on with what God wanted them to carry on with and also win souls, thousands. Even after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, there was thousands of people became a part of the church, and then there's three thousand, and then there's five thousand, and 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 then another part of that ministry of uh, of uh, reaching out to people was that they they went to house to house. That's another part that I'm very passionate about is our connect groups. So it's an avenue for us to make disciples, make disciples. I'm going to tell this probably to the church maybe Sunday, but I'm going to give you a little insight. And I don't know if anybody's read this article. Um, 
Believe it or not, do you know what the fastest growing church in the world is? The fastest growing church in the world, where it's at? Anybody take a wild guess or maybe read the article? UBC? Um, No, it's not necessarily an organization. You know where it's at. I mean, Pentecost is, United Pentecost Church is a very fast-growing organization. Pentecostal groups are very, very fast-growing. But do you know the area or the country that it is in? It'll, It'll surprise you. Now, since I said that, take a wild guess. What's that? Africa? Uh, no. What's that? Philippines? I mean, those are fast-growing areas, but China? It's fast-growing, but it's not one of them. Huh? America? No, no. I mean, there's a lot of fast. All these countries you're saying, I mean, they're fast. there are fast-growing churches underground, but the fastest-growing church in the world, you won't believe this, is Iran. Iran. If you ever come across that article, you need to read this. This church, and this is what the, the the people that are a part of this, it's all an underground church. Underground church. And a lot of their church services mainly is based on prayer. And um, with the... Uh, with the struggles that a lot of the women have with in the Muslim religions, um, uh, they are actually a big part of this. And they even said that we're not actually trying to build church buildings. We're trying to build disciples. And they're doing it. They are building churches underground and making disciples. And matter of fact, in this article, it's amazing because they said that that they are actually draining the Muslim mosques because people are stopped. A lot of people are seeing this struggle is going on, and and the people are not going to the Muslim mosque, but they're going underground to these churches. And they even said uh, a lot of times, you know, in not not knowing exactly where the different uh, groups are meeting at because sometimes they can't spread that word. They pray. <laughs> and God directs them to the place where people are having church and praying. And they're trusting in the Spirit of God. And they also, some of the women have said that we realize when we walk out our door, we might not ever come back. And they realize the terrible things that might be done to them. But they said, and this is their concept, they're saying that I'm willing to let my body be used as a living sacrifice for God to be able to spread this gospel, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, this article goes on, and it talks about this too. It says that these people that are part of this underground church, the fast-growing church in the world, they love the Jewish people. Now, that's revival. They love the Jewish people, and they are serving Jesus Christ, living for Him. Isn't that amazing? 
And they're doing it by disciple-making. That's their goal. You see, we as a church body, we're, we're, there's churches, uh, a church body of Christ that preaches truth all around the world. There's powerful things. People have been revealed some powerful things through the Word. I talked to a man, Sister Sheets knows him. I, he was, he's a little bit different, but he was a man in Haiti that uh, started a, a political uh, group, and he called it Christology. And uh, this man had, um, with a group of other men, I guess they had been, had ran and fled to America. They formed a group, went back into Haiti. They were going to do a coup, take over the uh, coup d'etat and take over the country. And when they went back in, uh, they caught them and they threw them in prison. And in Haiti, you don't want to go to Haiti's prisons, trust me. And in Haiti's prisons, they cut his leg off. And um, and while he was in there, um, I'm sure he didn't get the uh, medical treatment that he probably should have got. Uh, but while he was in there, he found a Bible, and he started reading the Bible and found out that he needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So he found someone to baptize him in Jesus' name, and he received the Holy Ghost. And um, so God revealed these things to him. And I know he had some contacts with Brother Sheets there too. But God revealed. God is revealing things through the Word of the Lord. And as he does that, there's miracles that God is performing to build his body around the world. He's revealing truth to people. And we've got to be there to be able to disciple them and lead them in the right direction and guide them and show them how to how to worship, how to pray, how to seek God, and be their friend. And there's a lot of people that want to live for God. they got a good heart. that Deep down in their heart and soul, they want to live for God. But when they give their life to the Lord, then all of these battles and things are pulling against their soul. We've got to help pull them the other direction toward God. That's what a disciple-maker is. But who's my neighbor? In the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 25... Through 37. I'm going to read this, and it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up. Oh boy, lawyers. How many likes lawyers? Everybody should say, I like a lawyer. You're a Christian, aren't you? <laughs> we all like lawyers sometimes. Well, no, it should be all the time. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? Jesus said to him. And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. Jesus spoke to him. Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, He just started telling him a, a parable in his answer. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jericho to Jer- uh, Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. 
And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The priest did. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. They seen him laying there. They just kept passing him by. And likewise, well, Levite, okay, then verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. That's how Jesus answered the question, Who's my neighbor? The neighbor is the one that's going to give themselves to you and help you out. And of course, I guess you could consider the man that was in need was a neighbor to the Samaritan. But he helped him. He had compassion on him. Instead of uh, being caught up into, i got so much going on, um, I, I'm into my own things, uh, you know, I just don't have time for this. The Samaritan, I'm sure that he had a whole lot of things to do too. He's like everybody else. He was busy. But when... Compassion sets in. Everything changes. You know what I'm talking about. Because when you have, when you have compassion on somebody or, or passion to help somebody, you will go out of your way to help them, won't you? We, when we have passion for somebody, it changes everything. We will put stuff aside. We will rearrange our schedules. We will rearrange our everything that we got to do that day just for the sake of trying to help somebody out. We will do that. And that's exactly what happened to this Samaritan. He was a true neighbor to this man. You know, the future harmony of humanity actually rests in answering this question, who is my neighbor? So many people for so long, and it's getting worse in our world, it's almost like people are just going into their own little world and forgetting about everybody else. You know why they had, uh, uh, a lot of times they had porches on houses? It's so that people could come over and sit and they could talk. They had swings. Uh, yeah, people like to sit outside, but, but you could talk to the neighbors. You could, you, neighbors could come over to your house. There was a connection there. America used to be a lot like that, and the world did too, but Somewhere along the line, we've lost that old-fashioned uh, connection with people. We've, we're into this doing our own thing. We're in this independency. We don't want to stop. We don't want to, you know, I don't have time to deal with this and deal with that. And, you know, we've lost that 
camaraderie between people and friendships and neighbors. Uh, you know, I know. I remember when I was a kid. I know things were changing at that time. That was back in the '60s and early '70s. But we knew every name of every neighbor down our street. We we knew their kids. We knew the adults. We knew a whole lot about them. They were our neighbors. My great-grandmother lived next door to us, and on the other side was a... a, a it's kind of strange. I think I've always thought about this when I was a kid. Her, her name, she was, she was, I think, 95 years old, but her name was Mrs. Young. Didn't make sense to me when I was a kid, but she was Mrs. Young. She was, a, she was quite a, a lady. But my great-grandmother would... This is the way my great-grandmother was. She would fix food for people food that she couldn't eat, but she would give it to other people. She just was a neighborly person. So she would call me, my great-grandmother would call me over and she'd say, here, come and take this food to Mrs. Young. So I would take these hot meals over to her house. That's just the way my great-grandmother was. And, and, and neighbors, they would just do different things for you. They would watch for your house and make sure nobody was trying to break into your house or hurt, hurt anything around your property. It, you know, it's not that people were nosy. It was just that we, we took care of one another. Whatever happened to those days? I think that was a beautiful time in the history of our country of having neighbors that cared about you. They didn't see you come out of your house. They were checking on you. Make sure you're okay. If you didn't get up and go to work, which is kind of a normal thing, you know, every day, but they would check on you. Now it's everybody's doing their own thing and nobody's concerned about anybody else. But for the future of harmony of humanity, it actually rests in that question, answering that question, who is my neighbor? I guess one thing we've got to ask here today, and you don't have to answer, but in your mind you could, but do you know your neighbor's names? I know some of them probably need to know more but that's kind of the way our world's going but we live in a world of crisis there's a lot of crisis going on you pick up the newspaper you're going to see terrorism you're going to see hatred you're going to uh, hear about murders you're going to hear about racism bigotry uh, atrocities that were perpetrated against children religious uh, genocide you're going to hear all these things Christianity is being in other countries especially uh, Christians, if you're a Christian, there's a lot of them being killed today. Genocide, because because they're Christian. But this is just to name a few of the way our world's going. You know, every, everyone is, is name-calling. Um, there is a need, there, there really is a need for absolute truth. That's one thing that has changed our world today is because there's a lot of people, even in our schools, our grade schools, and in um, our high schools and in our colleges, there is teaching that there's no absolute truth. And what I mean by that is they're saying that truth is whatever you want to make it. That's the reason why this crazy idea got going around that, you know, if, 
If you think that 2 plus 2 equals 10, that's okay. And that's actually what was kind of going around. It's almost like whatever you believe truth is, it's truth. And whatever I believe is truth, that's truth. But you know what happens when we lose absolute truth? I mean, and let me stop here and say uh, the, where the, the, the reason why absolute truth has been pushed out is because they were trying to get people away from the biblical teachings, which is absolute truth. The Bible is absolute truth. The Bible settles all the scores. It, it, it settles every argument. And when we have the Word of God and, and we're, we're realizing that is absolute truth, it settles all of our arguments. If I have a different opinion than you do, if we go to the Word of God and the Word of God says I'm wrong, then I need to admit to that and follow the Word of God. The Word of God is absolute truth. Amen? It's absolute truth. But here's the thing. If we don't have absolute truth, someone's going to get in their corner, and someone else is going to get in their corner, and someone else is going to get in their corner, and then they're going to all start calling each other names. You're this, you're that, you're, you're, you're a bigot, you're, you're, um, uh, you've got all these folks. They're going to call you all kinds of names because you don't agree with what they agree with. But the world has pushed out the Word of God and tried to put it out of their thinking that that's not the truth, that's not absolute truth. So then because of that, because of this throwing out the absolute truth, it has created a world of divisions, it's created a world of conflict, it's created a world of name-calling, everybody's calling people other names because they don't agree with what they they agree with. But there is a need for absolute truth, and the absolute truth is the Bible. It is the Bible. It's the Word of God. It settles the disputes. With no absolute truth, everyone attacks others, thinking, and then there's a conflict, constant conflict. But obedience to God's Word will cure all of society's ills. Obedience to the Word of God. And guess what? This is a refreshing thought. If everybody would be obedient to God's Word and it would cure every social ill, it is no cost to any taxpayer. It's free from God. It's absolute truth. If we will stand upon the Word of God, especially the church, if the church will stand upon the Word of God and be obedient to the Word of God, we need to express not the way the world expresses things and be in conflict. We need to be like Christ. We need to follow the Word of God. Uh, We need to prefer our brother. We need to uh, have love unending. You know, if... Can you imagine what our world would be like if everybody in this world would be obedient to the Word of God and what a change it would be? There would be no more war. There would be no conflict. There would, you know, we might have disagreement. That's not the big issue. It's when people lash out at other people with this conflict. 
But if we live by the Word of God, we're going to prefer our brother and prefer our sister. And we're going to love one another. And we're going to be merciful to one another. We're going to forgive like Christ forgives. We're going to live like Christ lived. You know, the Gospel could put an end to many problems in our world. But that's the thing. There's no politician that would run on a platform that says everybody needs to live by the Word of God. But yet it's truth. Our world is messed up because they have gotten away from the Word of God. They put Christ out of the they put prayer out of the schools. Now I'm not on a political soapbox tonight. I'm just telling you, the Word of God is absolute truth. That is the absolute truth. <laughs> it's the Word of God. It's truth. It solves all problems. Um in 19 or in 2015, uh, one of our evangelists, Lee Stone King, some of you have heard his preaching. If you haven't heard his preaching, you need to go online. Just type his name into the uh, search engine, and you will find a message or or YouTube or whatever. You'll find a message that he's preached, and it's powerful. Very anointed man of God. But 2015, Lee Stone King was invited uh, to address the United Nations along with 13 other speakers. matter of fact, uh, another one of our pastors of the United Pentecostal Church, uh, Pastor Brother Wilson, pastors in Michigan, uh, he is actually over the religious uh, portion of the United Nations. He, he, he brings people in and he prays for people in the United Nations and they minister and, and powerful things. I'm talking about powerful things. Miracles have happened there. But they invited Lee Stone King uh, to come and address with 13 other speakers. And they presented all of these speakers with the subject that they wanted them to speak about. And that was to present solutions to end world violence. Solutions to end world violence. None of the speakers had answers. But when Lee Stone King, King came up, he preached what the Lord had given to him. But first of all, before he preached and spoke and addressed them, he gave his testimony of being raised from the dead. And then he followed up by a simple presentation of the gospel, which included Acts 2.38. And there were representatives from countries all around the world that came and were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And some of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, there was some of them were miraculously healed in that service and since then have seen miraculous healing. And basically all it did was just present his testimony and the gospel message and talk to him about Acts 2.38. And they took this message back to their countries. And what an impact that it had. But one of the things that he said at the conclusion of his address and his message, he concluded with, Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Jesus. I give you Jesus. And then those things began to break out. People began to repent. People began to be baptized. I guess they got a pool there at United Nations. They were baptized in the pool in Jesus' name. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Powerful things happened. You see, when you give, when we give Jesus to another human being, we are actually answering the question, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? 
when we give Jesus. What greater gift could you give to people that are in your world than to give them Jesus? Now, some will reject it, but some will receive it. Some might reject it at the beginning. Guess what? I rejected it at the beginning, and if they had quit after I rejected it so many times and gave up on me and said, well, you don't want anything to do with it, uh, then I wouldn't be here today. And I thank God that they were persistent and they continued to, to reach out to me and love me and, and, and care for me and pray for me and reach out to my family and thank God for that. Don't take that first response or the second response or the third response that they don't want anything to do with it and they might call you names and they might put... You know what? A lot of times those are the ones that want it the most. They're just fighting against that, 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 that convicting power of God. Don't don't look at it that you know you're uh, you know they don't want anything to do with it. Trust me, they want more to do with it than a lot of other people want. They're just fighting it, fighting it. But talking about being a disciple maker, uh, being a disciple maker is one who gives other people Jesus. It might be someone in need, someone laying on the street that's hurting, and you are picking them up. And giving them Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you. Jesus will help you. Uh, he died upon the cross for you. Uh, just reaching out to people. Matter of fact, just just reaching out and showing passion and compassion upon people's lives and ministering to the needs and the hurts and the cuts and the bruises and the and the struggles of life. Just showing them Jesus. You are being a neighbor to them, and that's what Jesus was talking about. The priest walked by on one side of the road and just kept on going. He seen the need that he had, uh, but then the Levite, he walked on the other side and looked at him and kept walking, but it was the Samaritan that the Jewish people called dogs was the one that stopped and, and, and gave him help. That's what God is calling us to do as a church body. If we can get this culture of giving people Jesus, if we can get that to the alcoholic, to the drug addict, to the adulterer, to the thief, to the liar, to the one that that is so hard to get along with, if we can just give them Jesus, we're being a neighbor to them. We're being a neighbor to them. And we're making a difference in our world. And it doesn't just stop. When people come to the altar and they repent and they're baptized in the name of Jesus and they're filled with the Holy Ghost and it uh, seems like things are going great, guess what? Monday comes and all of those old struggles face them again. Tuesday comes. They fought through it on Monday, and then it's a little bit harder on Tuesday. Then Wednesday comes, and they say, well, I'm too tired to go to church, um, hear the teaching of the Word, which is what they need. They need to be here in the house of God. And then Thursday comes, and then they're getting to the point where Thursday and Friday and Saturday, they're thinking, you know, all my friends are going out and doing this and that, and they're my friends. And you know what? We as a church body, we need to surround them and become their friend and minister to them and disciple them 
and lead them away from those old struggles because they want to overcome those things. But the temptation is so strong, it's important for us to create a culture here at Landmark to where we are reaching into their lives and ministering to them and getting to where they're at. Yes, you're going to get your hands dirty at times. And they, people got their hands dirty with me and my family. Thank God that they did, and they didn't care about it. They kept reaching and kept loving, kept showing mercy. But what if we followed these biblical principles of, of reaching into a person's life and, and, and being a neighbor to them? Uh, what would happen if we changed our world one soul at a time? We can make a difference in this community, in this county, in this area. We've got to go back to those times of just taking our lives and making a living sacrifice and reaching into the heart and life of people and helping people along the way. What if we follow these biblical principles? There would be an end of all war. There would be no murder. There would be no hatred, no gossip, no crime, no rioting, no violent protest. But you know what? It all starts with the church. We can't expect the world to do these things that God has called us to do. It starts with us. It all starts with the church. Amen? It starts with us. Because we're the ones that the Lord gave us the great commission to go out and to all nations and reach and love and strengthen and show mercy. Show the love of God. Show the mercy of God. Show the compassion of God to this world. They need to see it somewhere from somebody because they've a lot of people that I've talked to has got to the point where they don't even know if there's any true love anymore. They've been in so many different situations and relationships and been hurt so many times and, and they don't even know who they can trust anymore. We need to just simply give them Jesus. Amen. If we want to be a neighbor like Jesus was saying when the lawyer said to Christ, who is that neighbor? You know, he said it right. Jesus even confirmed it. You said it right. Love the Lord with all their mind, their heart, soul, strength. Let's read that here. You said it right. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and, not just loving God, but, and thy neighbor as thyself. We want to be a neighbor to people? Give them Jesus. Because that's what someone did to you. They gave you Jesus. And thank God that they did. Amen? Who's my neighbor? It's the ones we give Jesus to. There's a lot of people out there that are in need right now. They're hurting. They're struggling. And some of them, sadly, are contemplating ending it all when there is the greatest hope for their life available to them right now. Right now. And here's the thing. You, a lot of times you, we get this thought, well, they don't want anything about it. They don't want anything to do with that. They don't want anything to do with church, anything with God, the Bible, you know. 
you would be surprised. Just say you would be surprised if you really knew. You never know until you ask. Until you ask, yes, brother. Donnie. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pray for him tonight. And I, I'd like for us to stand. And I know many of us have names of people that we want to pray that God would touch. And you might feel like right now that they don't want anything to do with it. But let me tell you something. That you never know until you ask. You just never know until you, until you talk to them. And then you find out, hey, they... There's some kind of a background of some kind of a relationship in their past with God. Or maybe no relationship whatsoever, but they're trying to find their way. But there's names. There's names that you have and I have that uh, we'd like to pray about. And we're going to pray for those things right now, those names. I'd like for you to think of those names, maybe more than one. I want us to close our eyes right now, if you would. And let's think of those names and let's see those faces before us. Those people that need God. And I'd like for us to lift these names up before the Lord. Would you do that right now in Jesus' name? Let's, let's cry out to God for Him. Intercession. Lord Jesus, I pray for every name that has, and every face that we have seen. In